chapter 9, and just to orient you, we had finished this section after the transfiguration. Jesus is displayed really as God on the mountain, shining white, speaking with Moses and Elijah um, in a remarkable way that's called a theophany, where he comes down and he, he, God shines forth through his physical body. After that, uh, the disciple, those three disciples, Peter, John, and James, come with Jesus back to the area where the rest of the disciples were, and they were arguing with the um, Pharisees. Obviously, they were arguing about, basically, why could not these disciples cast this demon out of this boy who kept having, basically, seizures, and he was demon-possessed. And in Mark chapter 9, verse... 22, it says, It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can? Question mark. If I can? So basically saying, Of course I can. I, I can do this. I can do something. He says, All things are possible to him who believes. And then this really remarkable response by the father says, Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So remember this fella, because today we're going to talk about prayer a lot. But he's an example to us. He, on the one hand, has faith. I believe, he exclaims. I believe. But on the other hand, he's humble enough to admit, I don't have enough faith. I'm not really worthy. Help my unbelief. So it's a great combination of an attitude that I think we are to have when we approach the Lord. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. A combination of hope and expectation and faith with uh, humility. So keep him in mind. I think what I'd like to do now is reread some of what we read last week, starting at verse 30 through verse 40. Oh, excuse me, I'll back up. Um, let me just let me just read forward from the, from where I just finished off. Mark chapter nine, verse twenty-three. And Jesus said to him, "If you can." If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house... His disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. I'll read on in a minute, but this this is what we're going to focus on today is prayer, actually, because there are several questions that came up last week, and it prompted me this week to research it, and I really just committed to teaching this week about prayer and what it is and uh, how we can explain a little more detail um, what Jesus is saying here about telling the disciples you have to pray. And it implies a special kind of prayer, right, to cast out this really interesting and powerful demon. So we're going to talk about that today. But before we do that, let me read on from verse 30 so that we get some insight, actually, into where the apostles or the disciples' minds really were, even at this point in Jesus' ministry, even after so many years of being with Jesus. We see what how they were still um, 
worldly-minded and selfish. And I think that gives um, insight into what Jesus is talking about when he basically tells them, you're not praying enough. So let's read it, verse 30. From there, they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Of course they were afraid to ask him, because remember what happened to Peter when he asked, right? He said he rebuked him. So, but even so, they're still thinking a certain way, um, and they're scared to ask Jesus details about what he really means, implying they really still do not understand it. They were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? This is so remarkable. What were they discussing on the way after they had seen all this, right? And after he says, the Son of Man is going to die and be raised. But they kept silent for, it's like a kid. You say, well, what are you talking about? Nothing, right? It's like little kids, they, they don't want to tell him what they're talking about, but he knows what they're talking about. And then let's read what they're talking about. Um, but they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. So, Let's talk about prayer, because uh, there's a lot to learn about prayer, and a lot, I think, that we'll be challenged with when we learn what the Bible says about prayer and compare it to our own lives and how much we pray and how we pray. So the first thing I'll just ask is, what is prayer? What is prayer? I think the simplest definition is prayer is a personal communication with God. Anybody disagree with that simple definition? I think it's a good definition. It's a, it's a personal communication with God. And so the questions we'll answer today, why does God want us to pray? It's a general question. We'll answer it throughout our study today. And then how can we pray effectively? Two really big, important questions that we'll answer. By the way, I'm indebted to this fellow named Wayne Grudem, who has a huge book called Systematic Theology, and he has about a 23-page chapter on prayer. And if you ever have it, the chapter is just, I almost wanted to just bring it here and read it out loud for an hour, because, I mean, I cannot improve on what he says in there. It's just really uplifting and helpful. So, footnote, I've taken a lot from this chapter, all right? I've organized it a little bit differently, but a lot of the things I'll say are in his book. It is in the church library. So. Yes, thank you. It's in the church library. It is just a really overall great book, but all the chapters are this way. But the chapter on prayer is, is exceptional. Yeah, where is the church library? The the it is there. Okay, thank you. It's at the new offices there on 92. Great. I set up. saw three copies of that yesterday in Brian Irby's office on a table. Okay, so we're making so we're making a pitch for this book, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. I, from what little I've read of it, it is excellent. Just skip his chapters on. Yeah. Some of the other stuff. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so, uh, so those two questions, and this, why does God want us to pray, and how can we pray effectively? Uh, if you think about prayer, and um, it forces us to approach God with what? Now, when we approach God, how do we approach Him in prayer? With humility, dependence, desperation, confidence. Yeah, so there's all these adjectives that describe our posture with prayer. And what we're going to actually, all these words you mentioned, we're going to flesh out more. I guess more of what I was thinking actually is we approach Him with our minds, right? With our, it's like our whole, um, a good prayer, I should say. It's your, your character, your, who you are. It's a human interaction, basically. Your humanity is approaching God, who's this infinite spirit, right? So it's a way for us to relate to God. If you can think of God as, or like as you relate to other people, if you want a serious interaction with other people, just think about that. How do you do that? How do you interact, talk with, communicate another person, and then bring those um, <coughs> realities into how we are to approach God. And God is much more infinite than a human being. But we're going to think, think of it like it is, your, it is your, your character, your soul, your mind, your heart. It's all these things. That's what we bring to God when we pray. And prayer is a little different than other things that we do in our lives. So think of it in that way. Um, so why should we pray when you think of this verse? Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Right? So, this is an open-ended question. Don't answer it yet, but that's a verse we're going to study. Why, did, why should we pray, some might say, when God knows what we need before we ask Him? So, it implies, number one, that one might approach God thinking prayer is to get what we want. But that's not really what prayer is about. But the first thing I just want to point out is that God does know what we need before we ask Him. Right? Is he ever surprised when you go to him and pray for something that you want? He's not going to be surprised. He knows what you need and before you ever ask him. Another fact, we're told to pray. So many times Jesus says, when you pray, do this. So the assumption in the New Testament is that no matter what you think of prayer, you are commanded to do it, and we're to do it regularly. R.C. Sproul has a great quote. He says, the scripture teaches both, the scripture teaches both the sovereign foreordination of God so he sovereignly foreordained all things and the efficacy of prayer. So this is a tension we're going to visit over and over again. It's both. He has ordained what, we, what will happen to us. He knows what we need. He will give it, us what we need. And at the same time, our prayer is effective in bringing that about. It's amazing, right? But it's true. And we'll see that as we go through some of the scripture. It is an amazing uh, mystery of God how that works. He says, the two are not inconsistent with one another, for God ordains the means as well as the ends for his divine purposes. So his mean is prayer, but his end is already foreordained. So he just wants you to cry out, God, you are so great. How does that work? Nevertheless, it does. And we ought to marvel in that. It's, it's both of those things. The means and his purposes are ordained by God. Prayer is a means God uses to bring his sovereign will to pass. So think of that. It is a means that he uses to bring his will to pass. Amazing, right? And we're commanded to prayer. 
Okay, I have, it's not really a potpourri, but it is a list. It's so hard to, well, it's just a list of different attributes that we are to have when we approach God in prayer, and then a, a, a collection of facts about what the Bible says about our prayer. The first thing I want to mention to you is to help answer this question, who should we pray to? And that came up last week. I think it was John Michael. I wish he was here. Uh, he asked, um, would the disciple, you know, he, he brought this issue. The, the disciples, who would they have prayed to? Because Jesus was there. Should they pray to Jesus or the Father? And he kind of asked a good question. It's like, how does that work? Because Jesus is God the Father in, this, in the way we understand the Trinity, yet they're distinct and they're the same. So who do we pray to? That's the first question that I want to just address and just point out that um, the Lord's Prayer is a model for us, our Father who art in heaven. Most of the prayer in the New Testament is to the Father. Most of the prayers recorded in the New Testament is actually Jesus praying, most of them, and Jesus is praying to the Father. So the general model for us really is to pray to God the Father. Um, but there are prayers directly to Jesus in the New Testament, and a few of them are like in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, when the disciples are meeting to choose the 12th uh, apostle because of Judas's betrayal, and they say, Lord, and they, they pray this, Lord, who knows the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen. They're, they're I think, clearly in that context, thinking of Jesus, Lord, who, who do we choose? When Stephen is stoned to death, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So Stephen prays to Jesus. And Revelation 22:20 20 says, come, Lord Jesus. So there, is, there are some examples in the New Testament where people pray to Jesus directly. When it comes to prayers to the Holy Spirit, there is no record of that in the New Testament of people praying directly to the Holy Spirit. Uh, yet... Um, I don't think it would be wrong, really, because when you read, you know, what is the Holy Spirit? He's our comforter. He's our advocate. He teaches us. He distributes the spiritual gifts to us. So even though there's no example of it in the New Testament, I don't think it would be blasphemy, anyone disagree, to, for someone to pray to the Holy Spirit. But I will just say it's really not the pattern you see in the Bible. It just seems like the pattern is when we pray, we pray to God our Father. Any comments on that or disagreement? But yet it's not wouldn't be wrong to pray to Jesus or the Holy Spirit, I think, because really, in a sense, they are the Trinity. They're the same. Okay, second thing I want to bring up is what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? This phrase is used a lot. I use it almost all the time when I pray publicly. And I want to read something from Grudem's book, actually, and, and challenge us a little bit on that. Um, but before we go there, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? I mean, it is a biblical phrase, right? It is in the New Testament quite a bit, actually. John 14, verse 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So there's one example. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask in my Ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. So another example, a couple more. John 16, 23. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. So clearly we are supposed to ask the Father in his name. In Jesus' name is how we're to approach the Father. 
even in uh, Acts, when Peter, uh, Acts chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters, um, when he heals this man, he says, I did not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. So, praying in Jesus' name is a command, and we're to do it. But what does it really mean? Anyone want to pray according to his will? Right. Anything else? Uh, Grudem points out that it has, there's two main areas to look at here. First of all would be, most importantly, uh, when when you pray in someone's name, it meant you pray with the authority of that person backing you. So it was like an emissary. If, if you're uh, an ambassador for someone and you come and say, I am here in the name of the king, right? It would be that king would have endorsed you with his authority to go ahead and, and, and request something or do something in his name. So it doesn't necessarily mean just saying it in his name. It means have the authority of the person behind this, which is Jesus. So Jesus is authorized to pray in his name. Think of that. We have authority from Jesus to go to the Father. We have his authority to go to the Father and pray. He's authorized us to do it. That's another way to put it. Jesus has authorized us to approach the Father in prayer. The other uh, sense of this is that um, is a reputation. Jesus has a good name, right? He has a reputation. So when we go in his good name, his, rep- his, his reputation is how we approach God. So in a way, we can approach God with Jesus' reputation and character on us, right? So, we, so it's the authority of Jesus behind us, and our prayers are to be consistent with Jesus' character. So that would help inform us about how we're to pray. So if we're, And we'll talk about this in a minute, but if we go to prayer with selfish motives or with anger in our hearts or not forgiving someone or haughty and not humble... None of that is in Jesus' character, right? So we should always remember when we go in his name, it's with his authority and then appreciating the character of Jesus. When you say at the end of a prayer, and I do this a lot, and, and we pray in Jesus' name, that's not wrong. It's not wrong to do that. And I don't want anyone to leave here thinking that well, next time you hear someone do that, even me, you think somehow that's a wrong thing to tag on at the end of a prayer. Uh, But nevertheless, it is not a pattern you see in the New Testament. There's no prayer that says, in his name, tagged down at the end. Uh, And I guess I'm going to challenge myself, and maybe some of you too. It could give the impression that it's a charm, right? Some people actually think that if you say, in his name, it's just some sort of thing you have to tag on at the beginning or the end of a prayer, and there may be young believers or young people that hear that and just somehow think that that has power behind it. Of course it doesn't, right? And I want to read for you what Grudem says on this because it's so gracious and good, um, and I was challenged a lot by it. So if I can just go ahead and read this, the paragraph, his comment on this phrase. Um, let's see. So, again, talking about this phrase, he said, does this mean that it is wrong to add in Jesus' name to the end of our prayers? It is certainly not wrong as long as we understand what is meant by it and that it is not necessary to do so. There may be some danger, however, if we add this phrase to every public or private prayer we make, 
for very soon it will become to people simply a formula to which they attach very little meaning and say without thinking about it. It may even begin to be viewed, at least by younger believers, as some sort of magic formula that makes prayer more effective. And this is where it gets really good. To prevent such misunderstanding, it would probably be wise to decide not to use the formula frequently and to express the same thought in other words or simply in the overall attitude and approach we take toward prayer. So do you see where he's going? Don't make it a habit because it might just be a little too flippant, you know, just, just a little bit too much. Why don't we think of better phraseology that communicates more our heart? Um, let's see. To prevent such misunderstanding, it would probably be wise to decide not to use the formula frequently. Um, for example, prayers could begin, quote, Father, we come to you in the authority of our Lord Jesus, your Son. So it's just a little more precise, right? A little more descriptive, a little more reflective, I think, of what we're supposed to think. Or, uh, Father, we do not come on our own merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, who has invited us to come before you. Isn't that a nice phrase? We come on his merits. He invited us to come to you, but it's his merit that allows us to approach you. So that's another way of saying in his name, right? Uh, Or, Father, we thank you for forgiving our sins and giving us access to your throne by the work of Jesus, your Son. At other times, even these formal acknowledgments should not be thought necessary. So he goes even further. Really, you don't need these formal announcements. So long as our hearts are continually, continually realize that it is our Savior who enables us to pray to the Father at all. Genuine prayer is conversation with a person whom we know well, and who knows us. Such genuine conversation between persons who know each other never depends on the use of a certain formula or required words, but is a matter of sincerity in our speech and in our heart, a matter of right attitudes, and a matter of the condition of our spirit. Great commentary, I think, on that. So the the point being, again, if we think of prayer as communication with God like a person. And if you think, how do you communicate with your intimate, close friends? How do you do that? It it helps you appreciate the way you're to approach the Lord, even more so the Lord, with with overarching reverence and uh, expectation and hope and intimacy and all of the things that you would do when you speak to one of your really, really close friends. Any questions on that? Okay, I've got about 12 different considerations for us about how we're approaching the Lord in prayer. First, we've already talked about this, pray according to God's will. So we know his will in a lot of things, right? There's a lot of things that is very obvious to us about his will. We are to pray, we're to study his word, we're to serve other people, we're to display kindness. All these things that are so clear in the Bible that are his will. So do those things. Pray according to the, his will. The other challenging thing is if we want to know God's will, how do we know it? If you don't know his will very much, then a way to know it, let's put it this way, is to read his Bible more. That's, that, that's one important feature. If you pray to God and you say, I don't know your will, one thing we may have to do is study the Bible more because it's revealed there. 
So it should um, encourage us to learn God's will by studying, his, by studying the Word. Memorizing the Scripture is another great tool. Read it. Think about it. Pray over it. That's how you know God's will. And if you don't do that, you're not going to know His will, and therefore you're not going to be an effective prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. That's a great summary of that. It's John 15, 7. If you abide in me, it's a part of that, and my words abide in you, so that means you're thinking about it, we're chewing on it, we're th then ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. Go ahead. Are you going to say something? Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, so just to expand that verse a little bit, if you are abiding in the Lord, reading his word, showing humility, displaying all these characters of Jesus and, and really humbly coming to him, are you going to ask for something that is outside his will? It's really probably not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. If I'm prayerful, Lord, I pray I would win the lottery. All right, That means I'm not abiding in his will because that, that is just not something that he would think is important or in his character, right? If you pray, help me to be a, a more bold witness for your word, that's a prayer he'll answer, right, if, if it's done in faith. So that's a great verse, John 15, 7. I mean, we should just memorize it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Okay. Sometimes we don't know his will. You just don't. A job to take, relationships. I mean, sometimes you just don't know. So... Uh, what do you do in those cases? You do your best. You keep ruminating on his word. You keep abiding in him, you just, and you just keep praying. Wayne Mack's got a great study on that called Guidance. Uh-huh. You know, blue car or red car. Uh-huh. Nothing wrong with either one, right? Or right. which job, right? Yeah. And it, it's, it's a very lengthy study. And, huh. um, but it basically takes you through pros and cons and you know, but you've made your list, and mm -hmm. at the end of the day, make a decision. Right. Because some people get so deadlocked in that, then they don't yeah. buy the blue or the red. Right. They're still walking. Yeah, but I think it's true, um, and that leads us actually into the next uh, element of prayer, this consideration is um, wait on the Lord for an answer. Sometimes we don't do that. Wait on Him for an answer. And uh, again, to take from Grudem's book, he, he, he has this um, description of, say you um, were going to invite someone to a party at your house. Um, there's a few ways you could do that. Like I could say, hey guys, party at my house tonight, seven, be there. Okay? That's an invitation to you, right? I mean, not many of you are going to come because it's not sincere, it's not pointed, it just seems like it's not really planned too well, it's just a thrown out there, come on, right? Not many of you are going to come. If I uh, see Tim Brown out in the hallway, hey Tim, party at my house tonight, and then you just leave, don't wait for any interaction from him, he's not going to come probably, he might, but, right? But if you really want to address someone and ask, invite them to do something, you will make a point of it. I'll go to Tim, boy, I'm having this... And we'll interact, and we'll talk it through, and I'll have, like, an answer to my prayer, to use, the, you know, a simple analogy. So I think it was a great example. Um, don't be hasty. Uh, seek a dialogue with the person, or the analogy here, seek the dialogue with, with God, and then just wait for an answer. 
Uh, Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. Um, Jesus' prayer, think of this, in Matthew 26, He went a little beyond them and fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. There is a heartfelt prayer, right? And I know there was a pause there. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. So that would be a great example for us when we're praying to the Lord. Pray and then wait and say, not my will, but your will. So wait on the Lord for an answer. Another element, pray with faith, of course. Matthew 21, 22, And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Mark 11, we'll get to there in a few weeks. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe, that you've received them, and they will be granted you. So this is speaking how we're to pray in faith. We really are to pray knowing He hears our prayers. We're praying in His will. He'll answer it. He will answer it. And His answer may not come the way exactly we think it is at that moment in time, but in time, the answer will come. Either He'll change our heart, He'll change the circumstance, uh, and we'll be taught. But He will answer all of our prayers. So pray with faith. Yeah, avail as much. I've got it in here. Is it? Yes. Um, I think it's James 6, maybe? 5.16. I've got James 5.15 here. I have. Um, well, James 1.6, but he must ask in faith without doubting. Yeah, that's a great verse. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. James 5.15 says, The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Can someone get 5.16? I think that is actually the continuation. It's actually uh, 16 is, So for confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Yeah. But thank you um, for that. Uh, it is true. We have to pray with faith. Without doubting. He'll answer it. Another element, uh, we're to be obedient. If we're disobedient to the Lord, He's not going to answer our prayer. And Peter quotes uh, Psalm 34, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if we're disobedient to the Lord, He's not going to hear our prayer. So we are to be obedient. 1 John 3, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him. So he's saying if our conscience is clear, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we ask Him and He'll, he'll answer our prayers. Because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And we know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He's given us. So if we have a good conscience, if we are in Him, He will hear our prayers, and whatever we ask, He will give us. Do you guys disagree with that at all? Go ahead. Also in James, it says, uh, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Right. Because it makes sense to spend it on your budget. Yeah. That would cut. 
Yes, I think so. What verse is that, James? Uh, four, four, right. Two. Right. So that highlights, that's the opposite of praying in his name. We ask, we're not asking in his name. That's another way to say that. We ask amiss. We're not asking. Right, he's asking to win the lottery. You're asking for something that God, that's not in his will. And it wouldn't be in your will if you were abiding in him humbly and prayerfully. Okay, so wait for an answer, pray with faith, obey the Lord, forgive others. That's, uh, there's lots of verses in there, but uh, if you're going to the Lord in prayer and you're holding a grudge against someone, you haven't forgiven them, you're to forgive them. The Lord's prayer says that. Forgive us and forgive them. So if you have a sin, or I mean, if you have a grudge against someone, I mean, especially if it's a believer, and you in your heart haven't forgiven them, you have to do it. If you don't do it, your prayer may not be answered because you're not really in fellowship with the Lord because he commands you, forgive your brother. You know, seven times. Not seven times 70 would forgive him. So forgive your brother, and uh, then you'll be able to approach the Lord in prayer. Peter even adds something to husbands there. Go ahead, read that, yes. Uh, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Right. So if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way. Yeah. Right, so you're, if you're, you'll have hindered, your prayers will be hindered if you're not living in a godly marriage in an understanding way with your wife. Yep, thank you. Uh, humility, we've talked about this. Show humility with prayer. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. So humble ourselves before him, he'll exalt us. And he does that through his prayer, through prayer. There's a great verse, or a great parable about humility in Luke. I'll read it for us. Um, it's so telling, and I'm, I'll read it. It's, it's Luke chapter 18, it's verses 9 through 14. Uh, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So this is someone, if it's... It's not in his name. You're not representing the authority of Christ or the character of Christ if you're self-righteous. So he told this parable to them who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So, I mean, I just, I can put myself in this, and I think you can too, because we might be prone to be self-righteous and view others contemptibly. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other tax collector, the Pharisee, stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. All right? So that's the attitude of the self-righteous person. Um, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. It just adds flavor and weight to how we approach the Lord. And the first guy, the Pharisee, 
be careful we don't do that. Approach prayer with an attitude of, I'm praying for those little people, those sinners, but I am somehow exalted. Don't have that attitude uh, at all. Be humble, and if you're humble, he will exalt you. And I think by extension, it would be safe to say he'll exalt our prayers and he'll answer our prayers if we approach him properly with humility. Uh, were you here the first five minutes? Did you miss it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I'm just... So I think, it's, I think you can do both. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it seems most fitting to pray to the Father. Yeah. But um, I think you're asking about... It's not a relationship there yet. Right. The unsaved person. Oh, oh, yes. Thank you. I'm sorry. I missed the. Yes. That's a great question. I'm actually going to get to it. So, um, the Christian approaches God with the authority of Jesus, who is our advocate, because we're saved. Right. So, who does the unsaved person pray to before he's saved? That's a great question. Any, any thoughts? I would ask first, pray for what? Like, what is the unsaved person praying for? Right. For salvation. Yeah, for the. I'd say if you're praying for salvation, you're already saved. Oh yeah, so. Um, yeah, I, don't, I can't really answer it. I, I, I guess I would answer your question by saying, the Lord hears the prayers of unbelievers. Actually, I don't have the verse here, but He does. Like when He says, um, "Seek Me, and you'll find Me," so I think when someone. Yeah, it's this mystery of when were we saved and when does God intervene for us. It's very mysterious and difficult, but he does hear the prayers of people who don't know they're saved yet, let's put it that way. Uh, and he answers them. Seek me, you'll find me. I think that says those who are lost pray to God. And it may be imperfect. It may be their version of what they've read about Jesus or about God the Father, but he knows their heart. That's, I guess, the point I would say. He knows their heart. And he answers their prayer, and it may not be the most perfect prayer, but it's a heart issue. Right. I think that expresses it. Yep. Yeah. So God knows the heart, and, and he's able to, I think, sort through that, the, even if we don't have the precision in our minds of how that works. Does someone have a question? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, all, right. So in order to even utter that prayer or even have that 
germinal thought in your heart to seek out to God, that has to come from God. That's life given to you somewhere <coughs> prior to your prayer. Yeah. Who seeks who first? Clearly, God seeks us first. God seeks us first, right. Yes, I think we all agree on that basic principle, right? He, he is the one who breathes life into us before we are able to even reach out to him for help. Okay. So pray, show humility in our prayer. Don't be haughty or self-righteous. Pray continually. <clears throat> And you can pray continually for the same thing over and over again until God answers it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you read about <laughs> Moses going up on the mountain for 40 days twice, right? I've, he was continually praying for the people over and over and over and over again. Paul prayed a lot. Remember, he prayed three times to remove the thorn in his flesh. Ultimately, it was answered, but not maybe in the way he thought it would be answered the first time he prayed. But eventually the Lord said, no, I've, I've given you this thorn. You have to bear it. And so his prayer was answered, but not in the way he thought it would be answered. But Paul came to accept that for God's glory. Uh, Paul's, okay, so pray continually. I mean, all throughout Paul's letters, you, you see it. Pray without ceasing. Pray constantly. Um, continually pray. I pray for you day and night. I mean, it's a very clear uh, example from Paul. The best example is Jesus. I mean, if you read the Gospels, I mean, constantly he was off praying on his own, by the way. He's off praying quietly with the Lord. Jesus himself would slip away often to the wilderness and pray. That was in Luke chapter 5. That was an observation. He was often slipping away on his own to pray and be with the Lord. So that's an example to us. Here's another great verse that should encourage us to pray continually, and it's Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So this is one of those parables where we don't have to have a di any doubt about deciphering what this parable means because it says right there, he did, told them this parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So this is why he's giving us this parable. So don't read this parable think it's some strange teaching about the character of God or, or you know, it's primarily to show us that we ought to pray at all times and not lose heart. Uh, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God, did not respect man. So evil judge. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling. So the judge, for a while, just doesn't want to listen to her. But afterwards, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or respect man, Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she'll wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. It's just so a great picture. The unrighteous judge decides to listen to her because she's insistent, right? And he's unrighteous. He doesn't like God and he doesn't like people. He hates God. Um, now, Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? There you have it. We cry to God day and night in our prayers. And he will hear it. And he'll answer it. Even the unrighteous judge 
for whatever reason, decides to listen to this poor widow, how much more will God, who loves us, who's chosen us, answer our prayers? He says, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, this is a point where we can be challenged. Do you really go to God night and day with your requests like he tells us to here? We don't. I know we don't because we're humans. But this is the encouragement for us. We do need to go to God continually, repeatedly, reverently, humbly, over and over again, and he'll hear our prayers. If your prayers aren't being answered, then I think you have to just go back in this lesson and find out where along the line have, are you making a mistake. If we go to him continually, he will hear us and he'll, an <coughs> Excuse me, he'll answer all of our prayers. Earnestly, so continually and earnestly, it's sort of the same thing, but you have Jesus as our example of earnest prayer, right? In the garden, he is praying. He said his soul was deeply grieved to the point of death. And I won't read the whole thing, but basically, remember he comes back, the apostles are asleep. He goes and prays some more. He comes back, they're asleep. So he's earnestly, continually praying. This is an example, continually praying the same thing, right? After several of these episodes, it says um, he comes back. This is Mark 14, verse 36. He was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's what he kept praying. Remove it from me, but not my will, yours be done. So here's Jesus continually going to the Lord, humbling himself, waiting for the answer, and ultimately saying, not my will, but yours be done. He comes back to them. He said, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. So here's an example of Jesus continually praying the same thing over and over again. That's okay to do. God appreciates it. He likes this relationship of us going to him over and over again with the same words in prayer until he answers it. Uh, again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. His prayer was answered. The cup wouldn't be taken away, right? So his, God answered his prayer. Um, of course, Jesus knew all along. We won't get into that. But the point is here, on, to apply this to prayer, Jesus was persistent in his prayer. He wanted this relationship with his Father. He needed it, and he submitted to his will. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Okay, so earnestly pray. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. That's referring to Jesus. So the example he gives us is supplications, loud crying, tears, is the attitude and the emotion that we should be taking to the Lord. Side note, don't fake an emotion, right? It's obvious to your friends when you fake an emotion, right? It's obvious to God if you're going to fake an emotive prayer that's not from the heart, so be careful of that. Don't try to... I've seen this, not in this church, obviously, but in other... you know, There's this sort of fake emotion around prayer requests, and just be careful we don't do that. It ought to be from our heart couple other things. Pray privately. This is clear. 
in the New Testament over and over again. Jesus often off privately. He tells us to go to a closet on your own and pray. Why do we want to be private in our prayer, practically speaking, right? Distractions aren't there. Um, you're not seen to be praying, so you, there's no hint that there's some hypocrisy there where you're letting people see you pray and so that you might be lifted up in their eyes. So that can't happen if you do it privately on your own. Um, and the Father likes it. It says, uh, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the, our Father likes it when we go to Him privately and in secret. Pray with others. Our Father who art in heaven. Our. Okay, so the... Uh, when two or three are gathered, it does seem he wants us to pray together. He wants Christians to pray together. That's one main reason we come to church, is to have fellowship amongst each other, and he wants us to pray um, together. A word about fasting. Uh, this came up last week. And uh, clearly, fasting uh, is taught in the New Testament, right? It is always associated, even in the Old Testament, when you read about fasting, often associated with prayer, almost always associated with this um, intense supplication to God, right? Um, often connected with repentance, too. Um, when you fast, Jesus said, so implication, we are to fast as Christians. Um, when Paul and Barnabas were sent out, there was fasting, before their missionary journey, when you fast, Jesus said. So I just want to mention a few things about fasting. Uh, clearly, it is, a, uh, it is taught in the Bible for Christians to do. We had to fast. You cannot, uh, it's not to be done so other people see it. Remember, the Pharisees fasted so other people could see them, and they walked around all mopey, and so everyone would know they're fasting. So if you do fast, really no one should know about it, honestly. Um, practically, Fasting is helpful for a few reasons. One, if you've ever done it, you know it does help you focus your attention, right? When you're denying yourself food and you're hungry, it just makes you instantly think, oh, I'm doing this. You, you, you just pray more. So if you've never done it, uh, you should at times have a fast because it is a good discipline and it focuses your attention. It teaches you to rely on God. It really does. If you're hungry, you just appreciate what you have, and you appreciate his provision for all things, even your food. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, that really comes to light when you fast. You say, well, if I had to go the whole day without bread, it's hard, and God provides bread for me every day. So it helps us appreciate how we rely on him. If you don't eat, you have a little more time to pray. If you skip a meal, that's another practical benefit. You have a half hour to go pray. So that, I think that would be something one would do if you're fasting. You'd use that time to, to pray. Um, again, practically, if you fast, it's a continual reminder to you because you have the hunger pangs. It's a continual, ongoing reminder that I'm doing this for the Lord. Uh, good for our self-discipline, and it can give you some insight into suffering, which we don't have much at all in the Western United States. We just don't have suffering as uh, biblically you read about it or you hear about it in other countries. So it's a little reminder to us and giving us some insight about suffering. Okay, the hour is upon us. I, I want to just mention a couple other things, and I want to, we'll finish this up next week. But um, and I, well, next week I want to just finish up by going through the Lord's Prayer slowly. And just, it'll be a summary of what we've discussed today, but 
you know, if you want to learn how to pray, that's obviously where you go. Because they asked him, teach us how to pray. Okay. And then he read the Lord, and he told them the Lord's Prayer. So that's where you go primarily if you want to learn about prayer. Um, prayer is effective. It is effective. In fact, it even changes what God does. And well, we didn't get a chance to read this, but Moses, when he go, the Lord is going to punish the Jewish people. And, he's, and Moses pleads with him, relent. He says, okay, I'll relent because you've asked me. So we'll talk about that next week, but it really is in the Bible that the Lord, this is one of those tension things where the God decrees things to happen. That's never going to change. Yet he also uses our prayer effectively to do those things. It's wonderful. So we'll read that. It's in Exodus next week. So prayer is effective, uh, and we're to approach the Lord in a certain way, and we have reviewed all those things. And the other point I want to just be sure we know, it's effective mainly because of the person mediating our prayers, who is Christ. For the Christian, we ha he's the great high priest. He is taking our thoughts, our prayers, our needs to the Father. And he authorizes us to approach him. Any thoughts on that before we leave? We need to pray more. And if you have, uh, I didn't talk about, specific prayers are also helpful. Loose, open-ended prayers, Lord, bless our family. I say that a lot. And it doesn't mean anything. So I would be probably more encouraged if I specifically prayed for things. Right? For a certain person to be saved or for an opportunity this week, Lord, I do want to share the gospel with one person or this day, whatever it is. Pray for those specific things and write it down and then flip back a week later. And you guys probably keep prayer journals, but isn't it a blessing when you go back and look through your specific prayers that you asked for and how they're all answered? So um, encouragement for us is pray more, pray earnestly, continually, humbly, um, and he'll answer our prayers. Any other thoughts? Yes, Neil. One last thing. I mean, if anybody wants to know, Jesus came, came. Yeah. It reminded me of John 15, where he's telling the disciples he's supposed to be doing about signs and his name. Yeah. It was really the first sign. And it's coming at the point when they finally Right. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. I, I was challenged, or I learned a lot about the whole concept of the authority. He, Jesus authorizes us to go to the Father, right? So he's a great high priest, and he, he is uh, the mediator for us. So we're, we can go to God the Father and say, I'm here because Jesus authorized me to approach you. It's wonderful, right, to think of it that way. And that's how we approach him. In his name, Jesus is told me, I can come to you, Father, and give you my requests. It's great truth. Anything else?
Very good. We'll see everybody next week. Thank you.